This is some scene. This is some scene. This is some scene. Yeah, it is this is some scene. <laughs> Welcome to This Is Some Scene. I am James, and in this episode, Chris Blake Sasser interviews Ted Ramey, actor who has been in some of our very favorite films and TV shows, which you will hear about in this interview. So make sure to follow us on Instagram at This Is Some Scene, and let's get right into the interview with Ted Ramey. Let the carnage begin. All right, we love the uh, we love the uh, last man on earth uh, poster you got going on back there. Oh yeah, I like that one too. It's an original, so I was wow. pretty proud. I just have nice. I'm in this place right now that I realized I wasn't going to stay in uh, for very long, <laughs> so I just didn't a lot of things that didn't hang up. This is a temporary residence. Are you in, in Michigan or L.A.? Yeah, no, I'm in Michigan. I moved out of L.A. several years ago. I didn't want to be there anymore. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't, uh, it's not that it wasn't healthy. It just, well, I guess it wasn't healthy. I mean, um, I found it, I should say unhelpful is a better word to my, uh, business, personal and mental health. And, uh, it's been much better. Also easier on my wallet. Well, that's important. So. Yeah, I thought so. I thought yeah. so. So now I'm a, you know, I'm a total Michigander. I, the only <laughs> other working actor I know who lives here is Jeff Daniels. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I think it's just him and mine. I mean, he's, of course, a major star. I'm, you know, I'm just a character actor. Still, I think there's only two of us that I know that actually live in, you know, in Michigan and work now, in Hollywood. If I had my choice of going to see a Ted Raimi movie or a Jeff Daniels movie, I'd go see a Ted Raimi movie. <laughs> oh, thank That's you. Nice. Thank you for that. So, okay. Yeah, so like, as uh, we were saying earlier, uh, been a big fan for a long time. Thank but you. But, you know, what's interesting is I don't know. What inspired you to get into acting? Was it um, something particular or did you just get roped into your siblings' uh, movies? No, I had really nothing to do with that. Uh, I wasn't interested at all to work with uh, my brother who was beginning to make movies. Um, I was always, I loved to read. I guess that certainly had something to do with it. I'm a big reader, but I approached it very unlike most actors do. I came to it obliquely and not um, in a straight line. Primarily, you'll find 95% of all actors will say, well, I had this thing inside me and I, it just was calling out to me and I had to run to it. You know, I gave mm -hmm. up everybody and everything I knew. Right. But for me, it was, I did it more of the classic working class Michigan guy way, which is I had a series of really, really crappy jobs. I was a busboy. I was a dishwasher. I was a golf caddy. I dug a little bit of ditches, ditches like for a day. Um, I uh, was also finally a production assistant. These were all, you'll excuse my language, shitty jobs that I would not recommend anybody do for any reason unless they absolutely have to. But I was directionless at that time, and I didn't know what I wanted. So that happens. And... Um, uh, while I was a production assistant, a fellow PA came up to me and said, well, you know, you're, you're really a goofy, weird guy. You know, you, you should audition for one of these industrial films. And in case you're, you or your fans don't know what an industrial film is, they are, interestingly, the most made commercial movies in the world. And they are an in-house movie made for that company. So, for example, it would be how to fold shirts if you work for The Gap. Here's how you do it. 
You know, they make a little movie about it, so you can watch it. They're mostly on YouTube now, of course, but um, still, they're thousands and thousands are made every year for companies. And I worked on these a lot in Detroit because it's an industry town. Anyway, I went in to read thinking it was just a fluke. I really had no interest at all in making a career out of it. I just thought it'd be fun. I got the job the first time I read. It was uh, for uh, General Motors. It was how to sell minivans. <laughs> it was so, it's like I was a spokesman for how to sell minivans. It took four hours and they gave us lunch. And I, I, I was like, oh, how much is this? I asked the guy, I was like, how much is lunch? And they went, no, it's, it's included in your day. I went, it's free? <laughs> they were like, yeah, you know, yes, that's how this industry works. I couldn't freaking believe it right. that they were buying my lunch you know I didn't know funny thing is to the to this day whenever I see whenever I go to sets I don't care if they're just serving hot dogs I, I'm impressed that it's that it's a free lunch it's unbelievable <laughs> how many actors bitch and complain but you know they probably never had jobs where they had to buy their own lunch like 99% of the rest of the world anyway did it got my check for it and that check was worth two weeks of washing dishes wow and so I never went back to those jobs again that's that's great. Now, when when you work in industrials, do you have to join the unions? No, not not really. They work kind of under the radar. They uh, they have no affiliation for the most part with Screen Actors Guild. Some do. I think probably some of the bigger ones, but you know maybe the ones that ad agencies are in New York City or Los Angeles. But most of those um, industrial pictures are non-union, and SAG doesn't really go after them because they're they're business owned and they know that it's not just some little crappy ass production company trying to get away with murder this is ford <laughs> chrysler gm u.s steel and they you, they've got the weight of their law their lawyers behind them and so sag doesn't bother with that okay so what was the first uh feature you did first feature i did well that would be so later that summer after i'd done a series of industrial films um and i probably did about 10 or 11 of them, you know, right in a row busy. over the course of a month and a half. Yeah. I mean, I was working twice, three times a week. Um, I still have one of them. It was, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I did. Well, I remember the first industrial film I did was for, was for, uh, uh, General Motors. I did another for General Motors talking to their, uh, execs about, how horrible the United Auto Workers was and how to defeat them. And then the very next week, I did an ad for the United Auto Workers telling them how lousy GM was and how they needed to fight and strike. So, I mean, honestly, I'm tr I'm a true advertiser. You know, I had, I had no affiliation. I was absolutely, a, you know, a gun for hire. Um, the first feature, so that summer when I was 17, I went to New York City. I told my dad I was, I was off to New York City. And he was um, neutral about it, which, you know, he said, look, here's the deal. Yeah, go to New York, be an actor, you know, and he was understandably suspect. But if you find after one year of me paying your rent and food, and that's all I'll pay, this is my dad talking, and you don't get a job after a year, you will come back and either work for me or you're going back to school, one or the other. And I thought, well, this deal. is getting, this is a, I thought that was a sucker bet. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? I'm going to work all the second I, I've been working on industrial films. I just made 10, 10 industrial films. How hard is it going to be to land a TV show? You know, and, uh, oh my God, 
poof, New York's a whole different bag than Detroit, Michigan is. And um, it was the worst winter, fall and winter of my life. I was freezing cold in this unheated apartment on the Lower East Side, which now is a very hip place. But back in the early 80s, it was a dump. It was worse than Detroit. It really was. Mm -hmm. And uh, more dangerous, in fact. Um, I remember the crack needle, crack, uh, crack pipes everywhere you walked, just crunch, crunch, crunch. Um, and as the winter approached, uh, the winter left, I wrote my dad a letter, which is what you did in those days before email. And I said, you were right. I said, this is not for me. I, I, I've been struggling for six months. I cannot get a job. And I was frankly sick of eating Cheerios and potatoes for dinner. And, um, uh, I bought my ticket to Detroit back home when I got a word from this agency who took pity on me. And I have no idea why, because I had applied to a million of them. One actually went, OK. And they went, do you want to be in this movie called Nightmare at Shadow Woods with Louise Lasser? You have like one line and you play a condom salesman at a drive-in movie. <laughs> and I said, yes, sounds great. I didn't ask, you know, how much it was. If it even shot in New York City, I just, you know, it was like a feature film. Um, what a part. Yeah. So <laughs> to be in it, though, because it was, uh, you know, I needed I needed still a minor. I had to get some permission from my parents, you know, written thing to saying I could be on the set all day and stuff like that. So I was still too young to do it. But I, I did it. You know, I went out and I did it. And that was it. And I was like, cool. Well, I got a real movie. I mean, it was just a shitty B movie. But it's a movie. But it's a movie. And so that was my first one. Nice. Um, I've never seen you play the uh, drive-in movie condom salesman. That's a, I don't think you're missing anything. It's amazing, though. You're not missing anything. You can still find, in fact, the, the packaging for that movie now, I don't know who released it, maybe Vinegar Syndrome or somebody. It says on the cover, Ted Raimi's first movie. There's an ex, you know, that's its selling point, you know, which that's, I think is kind of honorable. I think it's, I'm actually quite honored that, you know, they're selling kind of this B- shitty movie with my name on it so i guess i guess i've made it i think you have so out of all the work you've done do you have a favorite character that you played favorite role you know i used to say no because i never really found one that i absolutely loved to death but i just did and so now i do and that is uh travis hackett in the game the quarry and it's a choose your own adventure game that is, in my opinion, expertly written. The characters are very well-rounded and fascinating. Are, are, are you a, like a sheriff in that? Yeah, I'm a cop. Nice. That's right. And yeah. um, uh, which was kind of a great thing to play for any number of reasons. Like I said, great script, great cast, uh, great crew, an amazing director who was very actor-friendly. His name is Will Biles. And... Um, it's very unusual, you know, when you're in the technical world of video games, your your odds of finding a director that loves actors as much as she loves the technical aspects of it are rare. And I found one, so that was my favorite so far. It's a, and I and I'm kind of grateful. That's the last thing, major thing I did. I did a, another movie since then, but uh, the last major thing I did, uh, video game wise, was probably my favorite. I've since done one, to two other projects. So, cool. Got to ask about Hoffman. Oh, sure, uh, from Spider Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Is, is is he in the MCU now because of uh, the uh, multiverse thing? I don't know. I, I you <laughs> know, I wish I could tell you more about his. 
I, I think he's a popular character, which is really a, a wonderful compliment. Uh, I think compliment. that he could become um, a supervillain is what I think. Well, I think he's, I think so too. He's he's yeah. he's certainly educated enough and and also personally dumb enough to be a villain. <laughs> High education, poor judgment skills, totals, yeah. and excellent. Maybe uh, he's the chameleon. I don't know. Maybe he is. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't follow anything too much about that. Or I'm just very pleased that uh, those uh, three Spider-Man movies that I made in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, are still uh, are still popular, and uh, yeah. I get lots of lots of nice compliments from fans, and so I feel uh, very lucky, very blessed. Now you and J.K. Simmons make those movies. Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you. I, I loved working with J.K. Um, yeah. Great actor, and uh, so uh, also a Detroiter too. So we every time you know the camera, every time they all cut, we just tell Detroit stories. It was pretty fun. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So how many years of Sequest did you do? Sequest, uh, three years, more like two and three quarters. They kind of cut us off, you know, right around then. But we actually got canceled, not because our ratings were poor. Actually, they were very good. We were still a top 10 show when they cut us, which seems was it? bizarre and unlikely. But the answer is because we were, at that time, the most expensive show on television. And unless we were cracking the top three, I think NBC didn't really want to know about us. That's my personal opinion. So was it true Roy Scheider was very unhappy doing that Yes, show? he was. Yes, Roy was very unhappy. He felt, though I cannot speak to uh, the efficacy of this st- statement I'm about to relate to you, I believe he was mad uh, something to do with the fact that NBC was not upfront with him about something or other, and I don't know what. Another thing I think he might have been upset about is that Steven Spielberg, uh, after he had sort of overseen the first five or six episodes, took off. <laughs> you know, he sort of went, okay, I got other things to do. And I think perhaps Steven Spielberg was, ho- excuse me, uh, Roy was hoping that Steve would be around longer, but he was not at that time. So that's my guess, though, who knows? Uh, uh, Roy, uh, God bless him. I hope he's resting in peace wherever he may be. And um, was was a was a great guy for the most part. And you know he was salty New Yorker. You know, <laughs> um, but one thing I had never he was a great acting partner too. But one thing I I I had never experienced in my career up to that point was a star who was on your side. Typically, movie stars are on their own side. It kind of goes with the business. I'm not making any comment about it, uh, good or bad. It merely is, you, if you don't have that kind of self, uh, sense of self and sense of purpose and, uh, you know, you first in one sense or another, you simply won't be a big star. That's all there is to it. You must have it. And it's understandable then that when problems arise on sets, stars are on their own side until they get what they want. That frequently happens. But Roy wasn't like that. Roy was all of us or nothing. So we really felt that we were like a musketeer band with him, and it was kind of awesome, you know? That is cool. So if a pro- yes, it was. It's not to say the producers are evil and actors are good. Lord only knows. It's just as much the other way around as it is that way, you know? I mean, I've seen plenty of instances where actors are acting like, well, I don't know if I can... Sw- will you be bleeping these out? I don't know what the... You can say whatever you want. Fine. I mean, you know, there, there are plenty of times where... Plenty of times where act, all the actors have just become are monsters, you know, they all will band together and slam their trailer doors shut for, you know, an extra thousand dollars a week or whatever they're doing and ruin. They don't see 
frequently that not only, of course, they're delaying the picture, which they're hoping to do, but that I can't believe, I guess many of them don't have working class backgrounds. I, I didn't have a working class background, but I made sure that I had that experience. So the whole crew, you're fucking the whole crew over. Right. Now, these right. are guys, all these guys in IATSE, you know, who work their butts off to become union members who are working all of them just to make you look good. That's the only reason every single one of those up to 150 people are, are doing there. That's it. That's why they woke up in the morning. And you are basically telling them, go screw yourself. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to lock myself in my trailer and make sure my coffee's hot and don't, you know, press wow. my clothes. And I, I don't know. I mean, actors are equally as, as, as childish as producers can be sometimes. So uh, was it Irvin Kirshner who directed the pilot? Uh, Irwin directed the pilot. Yeah, loved Irwin. He was, God rest him as well. Uh, you know, the guy who directed, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, yeah. you know. Irwin was great. Irwin was, you know, Irwin, Irwin is brilliant. And he made that pilot brilliant. He really did. It was unbelievably good. We, I don't even know if we ever got that, that energy back again after Irwin left, you know. But that's what he's great at, you know. So he only did the pilot? Yeah, that's it. He just did the pilot and took off. And, uh, you know, Erwin, yeah, Erwin was that. And he, you know, Erwin looks and sounds like a tailor from Brooklyn in 1941. What? What? What do you want? Let's move over here. We'll move over there. The film goes this way. It's shake, 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 shake. The ship gets hit. You go down and that's it. Let's roll the camera. That's what he was like, you know. That's you thought a, you were getting your you thought you were getting your your two-tone pants hemmed, but no, you know, Irwin's just a firehouse. You know, he was that's he was actually awesome. uh, where we got the uh, title for this podcast. This is some scene when he was shooting Empire. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on and he had an order and he just goes, Oh, this this is some scene. That sounds just like him. Yeah. Yeah. But he was awesome. I, I miss him. I, I'm sorry he's not around. You know, we lost, you know, it's so long ago, you reach a certain age and, you yeah. know, everybody just fucking dies. You know, it just happens, you know. I mean, like you look back and, you know, Roy's dead. Uh, Royce Applegate, who played the engineering guy, he died terribly. Jonathan Brandis killed himself. You know, we've got a lot of deaths in that show already. Wow. And, um, you wonder, you go, well, that. you know, you next. <laughs> but, but it was great. That show also, I had some of my uh, longest friendships so far. I'm Marco Sanchez, Don Franklin, uh, Ed Kerr, um, Michael, Peter DeLuise are all still good friends of mine. And we all talk, and so it's quite nice. That's nice. So I got to ask, how did you come to be cast as the stud boy in Candyman? Um, th that was a, that was an interesting casting decision that that was Bernard Rose is kind right. of a genius director. That's how that happened. I was not meant, I was originally not, I didn't read for that part. I read for, I think some other part. I think I actually read for Xander Berkeley's part is who oh. I read for. And, uh, you know, the, this young husband, I was much too young then, but I didn't know it. I didn't know how young they were casting. Um, and that part went, of course, went to Xander, which it should have. He's freaking awesome in it and amazing. And You're the, uh, you know, the, young... As the motorcycle riding guy comes up. And yeah. And so then, good. you know, and then I, I was with uh, Mariana Elliott, you know, and it's just, and she was great. And it's just another one of those kind of cases. I haven't seen Mariana in a movie in 25 years. I think she quit mm -hmm. the business. She might have a family now, which is awesome for her. Um, but I wish she'd stuck around because she was great. She's, you know, she really had great energy, that girl. Nice. Yeah, it's a good scene. and It's a good movie. Um, I thought so too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, any thoughts on Wes Craven working with Wes Craven? 
Wes, um, yeah, Wes was very much uh, a um, collegiate-looking fellow, and I don't mean that in the student sense. He really looked professorial. And he would come into work, and it's not surprising because Wes, I believe, was a college professor, was, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, and looked like it and spoke like it. He, he was um, very well-read, quiet-spoken, well-educated guy. He, he had patches on his shoulders, on his uh, elbows, rather, that he would uh, come to work with. And um, he would kind of speak like this uh, all the time, Wes. He, had a very quiet sort of voice, and he'd kind of talk like that. You know, he wasn't. Uh, never heard he wasn't a wild say, man on say set. Anything you bad know. about Wes Craven? Never, What's that? Never, never heard anyone say anything bad about Wes? No, Craven. I don't. I don't know why they would. I mean, listen, I only did one movie with Wes, um, but uh, everybody I've talked to who has worked with him that I know, including Mitch Pelleggi and uh, um, uh, God, and everybody. You know, they all of them have nothing but great things to say about him. He was great. You know, he really was. Um, and he had a very quiet Midwestern vibe about him. Um, contrast that to another guy of his um, status and time period and genre, which is Toby Hooper, mm-hmm. which I also worked with. And, you know, Toby, Toby, you know, it's just an old was an old hippie. You know, <laughs> Toby talked like this. Toby was like, all right, man, look here, Ted. You're going to get behind the camera and you can read them lines, all right? Now, when you're done, you're going to exit camera right. You, you understand that, Ted? I'd be like, yeah, Toby, I get it. He'd go like this. Cool, man, cool. That's what he'd say. So he, well, you know, you, well, his, his you, energy you, was infectious. Where did you work with Toby Hooper? I did a made-for-cable movie. Uh, it was called, it was a one in a series called Masters of Horror. And they got um, Toby to direct one. They, I believe Wes directed one, another one. And um, I'm positive that um, Carpenter directed did, another yeah. as well. Yeah. So uh, we did a series of these. I think there were like only four made of, four, maybe five of them made of most. Yeah, um, some very special thing that uh, the network Showtime put together. Yeah, McGarris put it together. I think. That's right. McGarris did. He was a pretty cool guy. Mick, Mick is a real lover of the genre. Uh, he's a nice been guy. A long time. Yeah, he is. Another nice guy. All right, so working with Harrison Ford, is he really a cranky old man? Uh, no, I never found Harrison to be cranky at all. Um, I worked with him on two movies, and, you know, small, very small parts on these pictures. But um, uh, Harrison, I learned, I remember this when I did um, Patriot Games, which was directed by Philip Noyce, Australian director Philip Noyce. And I learned in... My three days of working with Harrison more than I did in the two years at school about acting, watching him. It was an unbelievable education. You know, I don't think he knew that, that I was doing that. But Mm -hmm. every time they'd yell cut, I'd just kind of stare at him and see what his behavior was. You know, I wanted to know, well, what do working actors do when the camera stops rolling? You know, like I'm kind of curious, you know, like all these right. things that you you wonder about, you know, how do I, because you want to be like him, you know? So, you know, Harrison would, here's what he would do. He would do one of two things. About 25% of the time, he'd be trying to help out on set, which was crazy. So he would quite literally move boards, help grips if they needed help pushing stuff around it was cr- like i was like what you are the one of the biggest stars in the world what i, yeah. I was boggled i'd never seen anything like it the other 75 percent of the time he would 
run lines. That's what he liked to do. He's a, he's a big, big line runner. And uh, every time we'd yell cut, he'd go, uh, Ted, you want to come into my trailer and run lines? I'd be like, yeah, cool, Harrison. Then we would, which is great for me because some, act, some actors do, some don't. Uh, there are many actors who, when they uh, have to do the mechanical part of running lines, they'll they they feel it feels uh, too too uh, uh, too linear for them, and they won't do it. Um, many actors, you know, refuse to even look at their lines on that day because they want they want it to feel fresh when they say it in front of the camera. Um, I'm not one of those, but uh, and Harrison, I guess, wasn't either. So. Yeah, it was it was quite an experience, you know. That's really cool. Um, were you in Quick and the Dead? No, I didn't think so. Okay, couldn't find you. Um, I gotta say, love you in Dark Man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I enjoyed enjoy that making. Enjoyed that movie. I, I did yeah. enjoy making now, Dark Man. No, was that a yeah. a troubled movie being made? That was. Did I hear that like there was a, a number of writers on it at one point, even the Cohen brothers? I couldn't tell you. No, I, I love it though. I think it's great. And uh, that would be a question for production, I think. Okay, fair enough. Movie you got coming up? Um, well, um, there's two. There's one I shot for a feature. I shot for Tubi. Uh, that I'm unable to tell you about because it hasn't been released yet. So I can either tell you who I'm co-starring with, who directed it, or what it's about, but I can tell you it's um, a wild uh, horror thriller with some comedy overtones. What's that? That sounds great. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really, really excited about it. I absolutely adored my co-cast, which is, uh, I got lucky again, you know. Usually, you, if you like one person that you're working with, you, you're in good shape. You know, <laughs> if you've got a cast of five main actors and you like one of them, then you're doing great. When you like wow. everybody, that's just, you know, that's so just candy, this, uh, cherries, and ice cream, you know. When, when will this be coming out? Good question. Sometime this year. I just, I just in fact, last week, I just did the... Uh, publicity kills which which if you don't know what that is um actors and models most certainly do that means that the publicity department uh has a certain number of pictures that they want to release for uh magazine print internet etc and you get what's called kill rights should that be in your contract and a kill right means you are allowed to say no that's about it. I don't like that picture. I don't like that picture. I don't like that one. I want this one, this one, this one, you know. Like if they got one of you picking your nose, you probably don't want that uh, nah, want that out not. there. It's probably a bad idea, you know. Or, you know, you're shoveling your fourth piece of, you know, birthday cake into your mouth and, you know, on a dare. And that's probably not a great thing. Or maybe it is, depending on what kind of an actor you are, you know. So, <laughs> so there's that. So how is it that you being the pop culture icon that you are, there's not a fun co-pop of you? I don't know. I, 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 fans ask me that every convention I go to. I, they're like, "Why is your, where's your Funko Pop? I said, I don't know. I get, I kind of got passed over a lot for a lot of shows I did. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not sure. I mean, I had, um, I mean, I guess I had like, you know, an Evil Dead toy and a Sequest toy that the mm-hmm. Sequest one looked a lot like me. Um, except for my like 40 inch biceps, which I don't, of course, have in real life. <laughs> 
whole life. Um, but every other project I've done, I've got 100% passed over. I don't know. I have a Funko Pop. I don't have any more toys than those two. And I've been in so many damn movies. Man. I don't know. It's all right. Listen, I mean, if I have a choice between Funko Pops and just being in great movies, I choose the latter. And wow. and I've been very fortunate. And so I, I've I, been uh, a lot of good grateful. stuff. Yeah. I'm very grateful. I really am. I'm a very lucky guy. I just watched uh, You Get uh, Killed an Intruder last night. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember that movie. No? So long ago. No. It's, it's got, like, it's, it's got Spiegel still making movies? I have no idea. You'd have to ask. I have no idea. I don't really yeah. talk to him very much. I don't know. Okay. Fair Maybe. enough. I have a movie premiering. It's kind of got a bucket list thing happening in a couple months, which is a movie that I shot that I starred in and co-produced is going to be playing at the Cannes Film Festival. Well, that's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. It's not in competition, but it is an official selection in the uh, horror thriller category. And that's there's great. very few there. So, what's yeah. That kind of, what's that called? Uh, it's called Failure. <laughs> that is the name of the movie. I'm familiar with failure. Yeah, I think we all are. I think I was pretty nervous before. Well, while we were making it, I was begging the director, who was also the writer, to change the title. I said, I'll do this movie. Can we please change the title? I mean, we are setting well, uh, ourselves up for so much abuse in the press. Like, you know, um, hopefully, you know, it will be failure. It not be failure is what it sounds like, or I it'll be so. failure is a success. Uh, so hopefully I hope that's, uh, we're going to see it. I don't know. Really wish you was, good luck with that. At this point in the interview, I jumped in to ask Ted a question, but I was producing the show, so they didn't capture my audio. What I asked was, based on the success of The Last of Us on HBO, does he know if they're going to be doing any show or movie based on the video game Quarry? And here's Ted's response. It's an excellent question, um, a worthy question. It, that game was the number one game last year. It outsold every other one. Uh, which is incredible. I mean, that considering what's out there, it's just amazing that that. Um, so I'm very proud of that. That's though got a, a great deal to do with the director Will Biles and the co-writing team of Will Biles, Graham Resnick, and the production department at uh, Supermassive Games in London, England. They really made that damn thing happen. I was very fortunate to be a part of it. But uh, will they make it into one? I think they'll. Well, I couldn't tell you, but it seems to me, as a member of the Hollywood community, as we all are, it would be foolhardy to not take that to the next level. But I, but other than that, I, I have, I have, do not know. I certainly hope so, because my goodness, that I have a great time working on that. I, I still savor those those few days I had in that shoot. I felt like I was in my twenties again, you know, making movies, and I was getting excited about them. I couldn't wait to get to set, and I haven't been excited that excited to get to set in a long time. So That's it was tremendous. Awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, I really appreciate that. That's sweet. If anybody out there uh, is listening and have, has played the quarry or still enjoying the game and you'd like to see something else, either a, a movie, a TV show, or even maybe a sequel or something, you should write Supermassive Games, send them an email, and let them know because they do pay attention, especially uh, on Twitter. I know that and uh, their, their uh, company email. So, so do that for sure. Hey, this is James again. My next question was about the Creep Show TV series that's on Shudder. And it was about, I believe it's the first episode of season two. Ted Raimi comes on. It's a very Evil Dead-esque type show with kind of uh, 
Evil Dead versus Bob Ross, if you can believe that. It's not Bob Ross, but it's somebody who's supposed to be like Bob Ross. We loved the episode, and um, I told him so and asked him to speak a little bit more. Oh, sure. Uh, well, first of all, I think, thank you for those kind words. Secondly, um, I think that was great because, well, you had Greg, people don't know this about him, but he's a really good director. It turns out, yeah. Uh, he's he a really it. good director. Really like, and he makes you so angry because you go, it's not enough that you're one of the three best special effects artists in the world. It's not enough that you show run five of the most popular shows on television in the world. You also have to be a good director. Like, can't you suck at something, please, <laughs> so that we can all feel a little less less than you? And at this point, I bring up that he was on our show and he was such a nice nice guy on top of all that other stuff oh of course he, of course he is i know and on top of it he is a is generous more than nice he's generous so you know it does give you a great amount of hope when you meet when you meet him of course i've known i have literally known him since the uh let's see when was that that was uh would it be the uh last years of the reagan administration or the bush the first administration it's a long time ago that's how many years i've known him but yeah, he's also a sweet, a sweet guy. Now that episode that you're talking about was kind of that moment every actor loves and also is a milestone and dreads. And here's why they love it. The character was me. I'm playing Ted Raimi. Okay. So I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. Like people know who that is enough that I can play myself, you know, like being John Malkovich or something. <laughs> it was unbelievably uh, gratifying and uh, uh, chest swelling is the best way I can think of it. And it is also quite sobering because it takes so many decades to reach that point. You're just an old guy by the time that happens. I'm like, oh, shit, I got old. But, you know, that also happened. So at the same time, both of those things kind of collided. But mostly it was uh, an, an incredibly um, uh, gratifying thing and um, f fun episode. A yeah, fun, really fun episode. Yeah. yeah, you know, and you know, I mean, the funny thing, you know, I mean, Greg and I, it's an ep it's a period piece. It takes place in 1977 in Pittsburgh. And that's, you know, for most people watching it, it's a time period long before they were born. For Greg and I, it's like, yeah, we remember that when we were kids pretty yep. well, you know, so. I brought up the connection to George Romero and his beginning in public television and also that he got to fight a Bob Ross type character, which is funny. <laughs> well, well, I, I fight him. I don't think anyone's fought Bob Ross yet. I think it might be the only, the only actor in the world to pick a fight with Bob Ross and then also lose that fight. It was great. It was so. Really, thank you, thanks, really fellas. Isn't that nice? I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And that concludes our interview with Ted Ramey. I absolutely want to thank Ted for giving us the time to speak with him. I've met Ted Ramey at conventions. It's just not the same as actually having a great sit-down talk with him. I'm glad Chris got the chance to interview him. I'm going to, moving forward, make sure my microphone is on as the producer in case I want to jump in with a question because that I didn't realize happened in this episode using the software I was using. Anyway, follow This Is Some Scene on Instagram at This Is Some Scene. I... I'm looking forward to our next interview. Be sure to follow me on TikTok at James Ippolitti. 
I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. The Real Demons of Pop Culture is a Gorilla Delphia production.